morning, you guys. It's great to uh, to be here with you. And I'm just gonna pull up my notes here. Cool. Um, yeah, man, it's so so good to always uh, to come back, see familiar faces, to see what God's doing. It was really awesome last night to celebrate. I can't believe it's been ten years. In some ways, I guess I can because I feel old. Um, and then in other ways, I can't believe it. Uh, my wife and I came out here. We were in our early and mid-20s. My wife was pregnant with our daughter, who's almost 10 now. And uh, we thought we knew a lot then uh, because we had been in ministry for like four or five years at that point. So we were experts, and we were going to come to Prineville and and uh, just take it by storm and... Um, didn't quite happen that way. It was a, a lot of work and a lot of trials and ups and downs. And, and then, of course, the Lord moved us on to Colorado. And again, I thought, man, you know, now I'm in my mid-30s and I've been doing this for 12 years and I've, I've got it together. I've got this, this great uh, vision and, man, it's going to be amazing. And um, some of you know some of the ups and downs and trials we've had out there and and the Lord's used us, and, and the church is growing, and we've got a great leadership team, amazing uh, men that the Lord's raised up, and great things are happening. Just moved into a new facility uh, that we can use permanently, so we're not doing set up and tear down anymore, and that's awesome, and um, just really neat uh, how the Lord has provided. I went, I was able to uh, go full-time with the church back in October, and um, it was sort of a real questionable whether we had the money or not and and yet after six months of that we have uh, more money in the bank than we did when we started and uh, the church has grown and it's it's been really cool Uh, and so certainly God is is using us there and doing great things but as I think about the last two and a half years and think about my own life I I recognize that God has done more in me than he's done through me uh, over there it's it's been a very difficult season, very lonely at times, uh, very dark uh, times of just going through really, really difficult things. Uh, it's been the most difficult couple years uh, of my life, and I've almost quit probably a hundred times, which is really, really rare uh, for me. I'm not, that's not me, um, but it's been hard to be away. It's been hard to be uh, we just parachuted into this town, didn't know a soul, um, and that has uh, been, it's been, been hard, been really hard. I, I don't recommend doing that, um, but unless the Holy Spirit is telling you to do it, um, but it is gut-wrenchingly difficult uh, to do that. I think, like, when we came here, we, uh, I had a business in Redmond, I had some some income, and we had family, and uh, we had none of that out there. And so uh, I'm glad that on one hand, the Holy Spirit, like, kind of allowed me to, to be foolishly naive. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, but on the other hand, um, it, it's, been, it's been a struggle at times, and, and, and yet... It's been sort of that that has brought me to the place uh, where this whole preaching, pastoring, 
uh, the, the whole sort of dream that I've had since I was a young teenager to, to pastor. It's pretty much been my adult life, even through my teens, it's been my only aspiration um, is to, to preach, to plant churches. And through some of the things that we went through, the Lord stripped that. He, he stripped that identity from me. It was the best thing that ever happened. Uh, you know, and I, I love pastoring. I love preaching as much as I ever have, but I don't need it. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't drive me the way that it once did. And, and, and that really kind of leads me into what I want to talk about this morning. If you have um, a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. I know there's some Bibles back there. I encourage you to grab one. Um, just to kind of lay a foundation for what I want to talk about, uh, I really want to talk about our hearts, like our, our inner man, and our worship. And how it's only the gospel that can transform us from worshipers of false gods to worshipers of the only true God. It, that's kind of in a nutshell of what I want to talk about this morning. Here in Acts 17, Paul finds himself in Athens. Large, metropolitan culturally relevant city. Because of intense persecution from religious zealots, Paul finds himself here in Athens waiting for his partners, his friends Silas and Timothy. And I think if you understand the history that, that's led up to this point in the book of Acts, you know that wherever Paul has gone, he's started riots, or revivals. It's been one or the other. And he's coming out of a, a season where he's been beaten and stoned and left for dead, run out of many cities. And so here's Paul in Athens, and he's supposed to just take a break, wait for his friends, just chill out, and they're going to go on from there. And I think most of us, I know I would have, Take this opportunity to, like, have a breather. Get some rest. Let your wounds both emotionally and physically heal up. Take in the city. I mean, this was a great city. It is a great city. And Paul does take in the city, but he does so with a heart that compels him to preach the gospel, not with the heart of a tourist that compelled him to just take a break. And so I want to pick it up in verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace Every day with those who happened to be there, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? 
Another said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And in their minds, in their understanding, he was preaching two gods, like Jesus and then this idea of resurrection. They, they thought that was two gods that he was referring to. And, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring, you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And so, really the first thing I want us to see is that Paul was troubled by their idolatry. We see that in verse 16. He's, he's walking around and his spirit was provoked. He was physically sickened by the false worship that he saw. Everywhere Paul turned, around every corner, he, he, he saw a common theme, and that was false worship. As people, not just these first century Athenians or Paul as a Christian, as people, all of us, we are created as worshipers. Picture it like a fire hose that you can't turn off. It's just perpetually on, and it's not so much whether you are worshiping, but who or what are you worshiping. You, you can't not worship. And so in that, the choice is not whether you'll worship Jesus or nothing, which is many of our perspectives. It's like you, you either worship Jesus or you're not worshiping anything. When in actuality, it's you're worshiping Jesus or you're worshiping everything. Some things seemingly good. But a good thing that you make an ultimate thing becomes a really, really destructive thing. And so our choice is, is not whether we worship Jesus or nothing else. Our choice is whether we're going to worship Jesus or everything else. And does that move us? Are we moved by false worship? Are we moved by the idolatry that we see in our city? Jesus was, so much so that as he looked out over Jerusalem, he wept because of their false worship. Modern idolatry, current false worship is very different than what we would read about here. The things that provoked Paul uh, would look very different today. It's not statues and temples dedicated to Greek gods and goddesses. Today it's the, the seeking of approval, security, comfort, 
an ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in something other than Jesus. That's false worship. That worship hose that I have that's constantly on is either going to be directed at Jesus, and I'm saying, Jesus, you are the best thing, you are the truth, or it's directed at something else that in that moment, I believe, is better than Jesus. And we're going to develop that more as we go along this morning. But suffice it to say that our idolatry today looks very different, but it's coming from the same place. It's coming from the same heart that believes that something is better than what Jesus has. Well, I asked the question, are you moved by the false worship in your city or in your neighborhood or in your family? But the reality of it is, is that we won't be moved by idolatry. We, we won't be moved by the false worship around us until we're moved by it, until it provokes us until our own idolatry moves and provokes us. We, we won't be moved by the idolatry around us until we're moved by the idolatry that exists within us. In other words, are you broken by your sin? Not just the, the sin that you committed maybe before you confessed Jesus as Lord, before you became a Christian, but are you moved by and troubled by the depths of depravity that exist in your heart? Are you broken by your sin? In order to get there, you guys, we have to understand the why behind the what. We have to understand why we do what we do. That's a really important question to ask yourself. Because you don't sin in a vacuum. You don't worship false gods because you believe that they are going to destroy you. You worship those things because you believe in that moment that it's better. We make decisions based on the fact that this is going to fulfill me or this is going to bring me happiness or comfort or security. That's why we do what we do. And so as you look at the sin in your life, which hopefully you're doing, as, and as you look at the false worship and idolatry that exists in you, that's demonstrated and manifested in your life, you have to get below the surface in order for that to begin to be dealt with in your life. See, too often, we just sort of cut the tops off of the sin in our life. 
we've all weeded and, and not been able to get the root out, you know? You know how frustrating that is, right? You're pulling the thing, and, it, and just the top comes off of it. And you're like, dang it, that's going to grow back in like two hours, right? And that's why like Roundup and sprays work, because it gets down, what, to the root, and it kills the root. Too often, we're simply killing the fruit of the sin in our life. We're not getting to the root of the problem. You have to get to the why behind the what in order to eradicate and have victory over these idols. We sin for a reason. There's always a reason. Begin to ask yourself why you do what you do. In general, it's because you believe that that thing is better than Jesus. And they're not always bad things, as I said. It's not wrong to want to own a home. But if that thing becomes what you believe will fulfill you, then you're taking that good thing, that gift, and you're making it an ultimate thing, and therefore it becomes a destructive thing. There's obviously nothing wrong with, with having a relationship, with pursuing marriage, with, with having someone with whom you share your life. That's a gift. That's a good thing. The Bible makes that clear. But if you believe, if you're single here this morning, if you believe that that person will fulfill you and you're looking for that person to be Jesus for you, then you're turning that person into an object of false worship. And guess what? Your relationship will absolutely be devastated because you are sucking the life out of that individual looking for them to provide only what Jesus can provide. And it's when you are freed to find fulfillment and satisfaction and comfort and security in Jesus, that you can then enjoy the gifts, enjoy the the things that God has provided for you. Money. Money's a gift. But if you look at it as the ultimate thing, it will destroy your life. And so we've got to quit looking at things as though everything's evil or as if nothing's evil. Everything has the propensity to become evil for us. It's our heart that's the problem. We're challenged every moment with who or what we're going to worship. Where it becomes really muddled, where we really muddy the waters as Christians, is when we begin to make God an accomplice in our idolatry. James talks about it. James chapter 4. Where we actually commit adultery with God. And we're adulterers to God when we demand that he give us certain things so that we can find happiness and contentment and security in something else that we're asking from him rather than 
finding it in him and then allowing him to bring those things into our life that he chooses to. So to go back to the relationship example. You have people who are single and they so desperately want to be married and they're begging God to to bring someone into their life. And God's not answering the prayer and they're angry and God, why won't you answer this? And he's protecting you because until you make Jesus your ultimate thing, you won't have successful relationships. God is not going to answer your prayers that make him an accomplice in your idolatry. To put it another way, God will not be your idol pimp. You can think about that. And so Paul was was troubled. He was broken over the idolatry that he saw. Are you? Am I? Are we broken over the false worship in our life? A second thing that we see Paul doing is he addressed their idolatry contextually. Verse 22, Paul stands up in the midst of the Areopagus and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move, and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. But then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Diocenes, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. And so Paul addresses their false worship contextually. Now, I've read some Bible teachers who believe that Paul compromised here, that he didn't preach the gospel. 
and, and that he just sort of watered it down because he didn't want to ruffle any feathers. And, and then, right after this, he goes to Corinth, right? And it was in Corinth, later Paul would write and say, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so some people believe that Paul compromised in Athens, the Holy Spirit convicted him, he got to Corinth and he got his act together. And it was back to the simplicity of the gospel. I think that's absolute garbage. Because you can't preach the resurrection, it wouldn't make any sense to preach the resurrection without the cross. He's not compromising, he's being contextual. He's bringing the gospel to them in a way that would make sense to them. Paul recognized that he needed to speak differently to these people than maybe he did to his Jewish brothers and sisters as he would go to the synagogues. I don't believe Paul compromised at all here. Paul found an altar to the unknown God. With their pantheon of gods, thousands of gods, the Athenians wanted to make sure they didn't leave any out And Paul seized on this opportunity. He's like, look, since you obviously don't know all of your gods, is it possible that you really don't know any of them? Maybe they're all false. He even quoted some of their philosophers and poets to make his point. Knowing your context is extremely important. Because while the idols that we craft in our hearts today are pretty much all the same no matter where you're at in the United States or where you go in the world, we, we have some pretty similar false gods that we all worship. Yet the way in which we worship them is different. We manifest our idolatry differently. Even in this room, we have people here who maybe grew up in a very similar place. And yet the way that you manifest your false worship, how you worship things other than Jesus is different. Having pastored in in Prineville uh, for many years and having pastored in Central Oregon um, for even longer than that and then moving to to Fort Collins, uh, this has become really obvious to me. If we take an idol like approval, approval is is not a bad thing, right? We all want to be approved. But if you're looking for approval in something other than Jesus, ultimately, there will be an idolatrous sinful, false worship that will follow. But if we look at approval, approval in Prineville and approval in Fort Collins can look very different. Not for everybody, but overall, it looks very different. For a man, okay, talk, talk to men here for a second. For a man in Prineville, and and look, I'm not generalizing. I I recognize there could be some exceptions. But approval for a man in Prineville might come through how big of a truck you drive. 
might come through how big of a buck you shot this year. There's a reason why people do what they do, right? Like some of these ostentatious trucks that just, you know, are jacked up 12 feet and giant tires and spikes coming out of the wheels and smokestacks, and you can hear it coming for three miles. There's a reason why that guy drives that, right? He didn't make that decision in a vacuum. That truck didn't drive off the lot like that. He believed that there would be some kind of approval based on what he's doing. Now, it's not all bad. But there, there can be idolatry involved there. Or there's a reason why dudes that hunt, and I love to hunt, there's a reason why guys strap dead animals to the front of their vehicles. That's not, that's not normal, right? There's, there's a reason why people do that. It's because I, I believe that, man, as I drive through town and people see this trophy that I killed, that I killed, I did this with a high-powered weapon, of course, but I did this. Man, people are going to look, and as we meet eyes at the stoplight, in that moment, I feel approved. Now, in Fort Collins, it's going to be very different. It's going to be very different, right? Like, there are hunters there, but they do it sort of covertly. It's, it's secretive. They sneak out and they sneak back and they hide their animals because it's, they're not going to get approval by strapping that thing to their hood. In fact, they would probably get run off the road, shot, killed, buried. It, it's, it's not cool. It's not acceptable. You don't kill Bambi. You don't kill anything. And so, you you see, approval in Fort Collins is going to be different. Approval in Fort Collins, again, for for a man or a woman, but we're going with with the example of a man, it it might be in how fit you are. Like, I'm not not fat. Maybe some of you think I am, but don't don't look at me too closely. Um, I'm not fat, but in Fort Collins, I'm what's called Fort Collins fat. I got, I got a little love handle, got some man issues going on, and a little bit. In Fort Collins, that's Fort Collins fat, because they find approval in how fit they are, or in what they eat. So if you're pushing a cart and it's full of food with hydrogenated oils and high fructose corn syrup, you're going to get, you're going to look, get looked at differently. But if you shop at Whole Foods, well, you might strap that to your car, right? Like, hey, I shop at Whole Foods. I'm cool. So, see, both people want approval. They want people to notice them. They want to 
find their value and their worth in something, but it's not Jesus, right? Very different people, very different cultures, same idol manifested differently. You can do that with anything. You can do that in your own life. Begin to ask why you do what you do. Some of you are are really bitter this morning. You've got people in your life that you refuse to forgive, that you have absolutely been incapable of forgiving for various reasons, some some reasons really understandable, maybe others more petty. But there's people right now, and they're in your mind that you are angry at and that you refuse to forgive. And here's here's a reason why, to get to the, the why behind the what. The reason you, listen, the reason that you fail to forgive that person is because they robbed you of something that you believe you need to find fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. That's why you won't forgive. They stole your life. And until Jesus becomes better than whatever you're looking for from that person, you'll never forgive. So see, you can go to conferences and you can read books and you can do all kinds of behavior modification to bring that about in your life. But listen, until Jesus is better, nothing will change. We sin for a reason. We need to to know the idols in our city, but more importantly, we need to know the idols in our own heart. We, We need to understand how these idols manifest themselves. Paul did here. He recognized it, and he preached to it. And we need to as well so that we can bring the gospel to bear, not only on other people, you guys, but in our own hearts. We have to show how Jesus is better so that we can worship him. See, it's not changed behavior, it's changed affections. If my affections are for something else, I'm going to worship that. It's not hard to figure out. Like, I don't worship stuff because I believe it's going to destroy me. I worship it because I believe it's going to fulfill me. And until my affections are stirred toward Jesus, and I believe he's the true and better thing, I'm going to continue to seek after other things. And as Christians, if we want to live lives that are on mission, we can talk about mission and we can do ministry all day long, but until Jesus is better for me, it is empty to others. See, worship is not what we do on a Sunday morning. Like, I can come here and, and, and this is a place Centers of worship are a place that we lie to one another a lot. And we lie to ourselves. We come here and we sing platitudes 
and we say, Jesus, you're the best thing, and we lift our hands and we say things that we don't believe are true. And how do I know we don't believe they're true? Because we leave here and we say with our actions that something else is better. And so, guys, singing songs is great, but that's not all of what worship is. You worship primarily with your life and the decisions that you're making on a moment-by-moment basis. And you have to believe in your heart that Jesus is the true and better thing. You have to allow the gospel to go deeper in you so that you might root out the false worship. See, oftentimes we believe that we need to move away from the gospel. Like the gospel is the front door. I enter in and I go into the deeper things. There's something deeper that I'm looking at, like the the history of the Amalekites or something. Like that's the meat of the word. No, the gospel is the meat of the word so that I enter through, yes, but my growth and my life as a Christian is dependent upon and rooted in the gospel. It's the only way that I'll grow. Paul wrote that to Titus, talking to Titus about holiness and, and, and progressing as a Christian. And he didn't say, you, you need to do this and this and this and modify your behavior here and, and do this and go to church and read your Bible. He didn't say that. What he said was, in my own words, Titus 2, 11 to 14, basically, it's the grace of God that's going to train you to grow as a Christian. That's what will bring growth. And so, really the last thing I, I want to look at, talk about, is that Paul was driven by the gospel. That's what drove him. That's what drove him to not kick back in his hotel and sit in a hot tub and drink margaritas. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know about the margaritas or the hot tub, but I'm sure there was temptation there for him to do that. Just to kick back. But what drove him was the gospel. Paul's entire life had been dedicated to false worship. Remember, he was Saul, persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, killing people. It was false worship. He had worshipped his own righteousness. And when Jesus tore down that idol in his life, Paul saw the darkness that existed in his heart. For the first time. Because it was the gospel that showed Paul there were more than two ways to live. See, up until that point, Paul believed there were two ways to live. And and you know what? Some of you here believe that too. Some of you here, unfortunately, have been led to believe that the goal of Christianity is to become a moral person, to, to be a better person, to have a better life. The goal of Christianity 
is to restore you as a worshiper of the true and living God. And in doing so, changes your life. But Paul believed, Saul, before his conversion, he believed there were two ways to live. There was the the moral way. That's how he lived. That's the better way. I obey the law. I follow the rules. That's godly. And Paul looked at everybody else who was not doing what he did as lost and far from God. And those were the people who lived immorally. Two ways to live. Many of you believe there are two ways to live and you believe that Christianity is going to put you on this way. There's three ways to live, you guys. There's the moral life. There's the immoral life. Both of which are finding identity, trying to find God in their own way. Remember the story of the prodigal sons? Two sons, both in rebellion to the father, but for very different reasons. One, he had followed the rules his whole life. Father, I've worked hard for you, and how can you give everything to that idiot? That's some of you. You're the elder brother. You believe that God owes you something because you followed the rules. Some of you, maybe many of us, are more like the younger brother. Rebellious, immoral, partiers, don't care about the rules. Both of us are seeking the same thing. Trying to find identity apart from the love of the Father. Neither one of them were content with the love that the Father had for them already. They wanted the Father's stuff, both of them. And they went about it in very different ways. You guys, there are three ways to live. There's the gospel way. It's the third way that says you can be apart from God in your morality or you can be apart from God in your immorality. The goal, you guys, of Christianity is not to make little Saul's out of you. Saul had to get rescued out of his morality. Why do we think that's where Jesus wants to put us? The gospel showed Paul that there are three ways to live. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news, right? Good news needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be preached. Now, listen, teaching is good. We need information. But the gospel The message of Christianity is primarily preached. It's not information to obtain. It's news to believe or reject. When you watch the news, you you aren't primarily getting information, right? It's not like they're teaching you something. They're proclaiming something. 
this happened. And you can say, oh, I don't believe that. That doesn't change anything. There are people that believe 9-11 was a conspiracy. Some people believe it didn't happen. Or the Holocaust, it never happened, right? So they have not allowed that to change their life. Well, some of you believe that the gospel is, it's more like information. It's information to process and, and to dissect and to be knowledgeable about so that I can win Bible trivia. Guys, the gospel is good news that's proclaimed that you believe and can transform you on the spot. Like that. Boom. It changes your life. But again, many of us have believed the gospel is the front door. It's the ABCs. Like I enter in and now I'm kind of on my own. If, if we're going to talk about growth and holiness in the Christian life, I believe that it's apart from the gospel. And, and what I want to share with you is that it's rooted in and dependent upon the gospel. So that my being, or, or my doing, I should say, is dependent on my being. My being precedes my doing. It's grace that compels us. Paul needed Jesus at the moment of conversion, but he needed Jesus, he needed the gospel throughout his life. The gospel not only justifies, it not only brings forgiveness of your sins, but it, it sanctifies, it purifies you, it makes you holy. Too often, we see the gospel as that which saves initially but not as that which produces growth and fruit progressively. Again, the gospel's not the ABCs to move on from. The gospel's the A to Z. It's the entire house, not just the door. We, we can't, you guys, continue to treat the gospel as if it's the power of God for a conversion experience, but not for total life transformation. This, this isn't some new thing for you to, to think through. This is what Paul preaches continually in his letters and what Jesus wanted us to understand is that it, it's much more important for us to understand how much Jesus loves us. That it's much more important for us to tap into that than it is for us to figure out how we're supposed to be loving him. See, we put the cart before the horse. Think about how am I supposed to live my life and how am I supposed to love Jesus and, and now I'm a Christian and I've got to figure this out. No, you need to understand who you are in Christ and let that drive you toward growth as a Christian. So that your focus is not on behaving better, but on believing better. That's the issue. In that moment when you sin, it was a belief problem. You believed that that thing, that person, 
that fantasy, you fill in the blank. You believed it was better than Jesus. Simple. And so what you need to do with, when you sin is repent and say, Jesus, you're better. And thank you, Jesus, that you lived the life that I'm incapable of living. You were faced with that very same sin and you overcame it. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life that I can't live. And, and not only that, but Jesus, you died the death I deserve to die. You took the wages of sin upon yourself. And you can move forward in confidence, but to have victory, to see growth, you guys, it, it's not about rearranging and modifying your behavior so that you can have victory and growth as a Christian. The growth and the holiness and the progress that we all want as followers of Jesus will only come as we believe the gospel. So that in that moment we say, I don't need to do that. I don't need to blow up in anger and throw stuff across the house right now because Jesus is better. He's enough. Is Jesus enough for you? If it's growth you want, if it's progress you're seeking, if holiness is your pursuit, then we must go to Jesus again and again. We do well to pursue righteousness but we must pursue it understanding that we are righteous in Christ. That I'm clothed in his righteousness. That he sees me perfect as he sees his son. And we live in this tension. We live in this tension of being cognizant of the fact that we are sinners who are forgiven, and also that we are redeemed saints. We, we, we live in this tension. Martin Luther called it simultaneous sinner and saint. We live between, between two kingdoms. What kingdom are you pursuing? Are you believing is the better kingdom with a better king? It's as simple as that. One day, Jesus is going to restore all things and he's going to be our true king and we're going to behold him consistently as the true and better king. But until then, we only see glimpses and we get off and we begin to think something else will fulfill me. And we got to be dialed back. And, and you need to be dialed back more than just Sunday morning. You guys, you're going to have to preach this to yourself today.
and tonight and tomorrow when you get out of bed. A continual preaching the gospel to yourself. In myself, I'm the chief of sinners. But in Jesus, I'm the righteousness of God himself. He lived a perfect life for you. He died taking your sin and shame and guilt upon himself. That's what you have to preach to yourself continuously. That you are, in and of yourself, more wicked than you could ever imagine. Than you could ever conceive. Your heart is more broken and more wicked than you're even aware of. And yet, at the same time, simultaneously to that, you are more loved and more accepted and more valued than you could ever dare hope. Do you believe that? If you do, in that moment where something is at your door for you to worship, something other than Jesus, that's saying, I'm better, I'm enough, worship me, sacrifice for me, in that moment you have to say, that is a lie. Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. John Bunyan, talking about Christian growth, talking about what we've been discussing here, overcoming our idols, defeating and destroying the false worship in our life, he said this, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Is Jesus enough for you? Is he the true and better thing? You can't answer that by the songs you sing. We answer that by the decisions that we make in a moment-by-moment basis. And we're going to fail. But we need the gospel. We need the gospel to forgive us, and we need the gospel to give us victory. The gospel is for Christians. There's no magic prayer. It's not hocus pocus. It's it's believing by faith the good news, the proclaimed news, and you need to daily preach that to yourself. It is the unhurried meditation on gospel truths and the exposing of our minds to these truths that yields the fruit of changed behavior. We 
are worshipers. You will worship. Today, you'll be faced with an opportunity to worship something other than Jesus. And until you believe that Jesus is better, you'll continue to fall flat on your face. The good news is that we do consistently and continually fall flat on our face. And he keeps picking us up. And he keeps saying, I'm better than that. Don't you see? That thing is destroying you. I love you. I'm not going to tell you necessarily even what to do. Just telling you that I'm better. As we come to the table, it's with that awareness that you're simultaneously a sinner and saint you're more sinful than you could ever imagine and yet you're more loved than you could ever hope. Be mindful of that this morning. Allow that truth to transform your life. And don't quit believing it when you walk out the doors. Keep preaching it to yourself. Let's stand together. Father, we come before you as desperate, broken people who are so in need of of you, who, who have made lesser things functional saviors. We we've we've believed the lie that something else is better than you, and, and we've propped it up in our life as that which will save us and fulfill us. And Jesus, this morning, we want the gospel to eviscerate those places of false worship in our life. Jesus, we want to see you lifted up as the the best thing, the ultimate thing. We come before the table as sinners and yet as saints. For those of us who have confessed you, We've believed the gospel, maybe some of us for days or months or or years or decades. We've believed the gospel and, and yet we need it just as much as we ever have this morning. Lord, there, there may be someone or, or some people here this morning who have never believed the gospel. Not one time have they allowed the gospel to penetrate their heart. And yet this morning, as good news is proclaimed and and Holy Spirit as you're working this might be the time where they believe by faith and they're transformed and I pray for anyone here who's never believed that they would by faith believe the gospel this morning and yet for all of us we need the gospel we need to believe Jesus 
that we are so loved and so approved that we have rest and security and comfort and joy in you and that we needn't find it anywhere else. Holy Spirit, bring that truth to bear on our hearts this morning. Jesus, it's for your fame and in your name. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.